last year when we were living through the hurricane season in the fall of the year, there was a broadcast made on one of our weather stations where the weatherman was in a coastal region and he was being filmed live giving a report from that location of a particular storm, hurricane coming on shore. And the broadcast was replayed many times. And if you saw it, you know what I'm talking about because he was talking about the wind and the wind gust and the rain and the way it was affecting the area. And right behind him, there was a, a small sign that was just quivering. And you could just see the effects of everything that he was talking about. The, the weatherman even was holding on to his hat and he was looking up under that little duckbill hat and he was talking into his microphone and he was talking loud because of all the noise of everything going on around him. And he was talking about how difficult it was for him to stand up and how he feared for people who would be out and about in that kind of weather. And all of a sudden, right about the time he said that, there was this fellow that looked like he'd been to the grocery and had him a grocery bag in his hand and was just walking just very comfortably by and paused and looked almost right in the camera as if to say, no big deal, and then went on his way. You remember that? <laughs> Quite a contrast, isn't it? How is it that some people are able to walk through the storms of life seemingly untouched and the rest of us struggle to keep our footing? It's true, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the same circumstances, the same trial that befalls one person can occur in another person's life and when we observe as third parties to that trial, we see the difference between the two. Sometimes I look at my own life and in introspection wonder, why am I struggling with this? Why, why am I stumbling when everybody else that this happens to seems to just sail right through it? I'm going to offer an explanation to that question this morning, and I want you to bear with me. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to remind you that on Sunday mornings we're talking about spiritual warfare, how, how we handle to the adverse circumstances in life. And this is all a spiritual battle that I'm talking about. It's not, it's not physical. Paul says in this passage that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against other forces at work in this world. It's not the seen world, it's the unseen world that works against us sometimes. And here's my answer. I want you to follow me on this. It's because that we oftentimes confuse our position of who we are in Jesus Christ with the practice of who we are in Jesus Christ. You say, what's the difference? Well, our position is in Christ. 
Over 35 times the Apostle Paul uses this phrase in his letters in the New Testament. And as he writes to people about being saved, about what it means to be a Christian, he says that you come to a point in your life where you realize that you don't have anything to offer God to be saved. You simply come and throw yourself at His mercy and say, in order for me to have any hope for heaven as my eternal home, in order for me to have any hope of being saved, I need Jesus. And in that moment, we are positioned from God's perspective in Christ. So it's the idea that we come along and there's a point where we are declared to be saved in Christ. In, that is our position. But that's not where the Christian life stops, is it? Then we are challenged with the day-to-day living of how to live in Christ. And that's the practice of living the Christian life that I'm referring to. And the practice of living the Christian life is found in the fact that we are disciples of Jesus and as disciples, there are disciplines that must be lived out in our life. The disciplines are things like Bible study and worship and prayer and service and giving and stewardship. I could go on for a little while longer, but you get an idea of what I'm talking about. Now watch this, the disciplines of the Christian life then give way to what I call dispositions. I'm not trying to talk above you this morning, but it makes sense in my mind and I want it to make sense to you. The dispositions of worship and Bible study and prayer and service, etc., etc., are to make us more like Jesus. And if we're to become more like Jesus, then that means that we will demonstrate and express the nature and the character and the personality of Christ in our lives as humble, loving, selfless servants. Now think about it. When we stumble and struggle the most, we can always connect it back to the disciplines of the Christian life. And here's what I'm showing you, that when you and I are consistent to worship, to pray, to give, to serve, all the disciplines of the Christian life, we will find ourselves to be more loving, to be more humble, to be of service to Him, and those things provide for us the moorings and the stability that we want and desire so much when we walk through the storms in life. Now that's not just so nice and neatly packaged in such a way that I can say it to you this morning and say if you can get that, embrace that, that life will be smooth sailing for you because we're still going to struggle. We're still going to stumble from time to time. But I know personally in my own life that the times that I am not humble, the times I'm not loving, the times I'm not given to service 
are all times when I have neglected prayer and worship and Bible study and witnessing and giving and all the things that are needed in the disciplines of the Christian life. My position in Jesus never changes. Well, I'm once saved, always saved. But I know that in the practice of my Christian life, that is where the challenges come for me. That is all a part of the spiritual warfare, the spiritual struggles that we experience in our life. And the passage that we're studying is found in Ephesians 6. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. And I just want you to know that the Apostle Paul is showing us things that we need to draw on, that we need to make sure we're remembering, that are a part of our Christian walk with Christ. And he refers to them as pieces of armor. Now, he no doubt was probably chained to a, chained to a Roman soldier, and he was looking at that soldier and all the pieces of the armor that he was wearing. And so he was saying, as this man has on literal armor, God gives us figurative illustrations of spiritual armor. And we've looked at three of those. I'm not, I'm not going to rehash all of those with you this morning. You'll be grateful. <laughs> but the first thing that he talks about is the belt of truth. Truth, our lives are built on truth. Our lives are built on Jesus. Our lives are built on the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we wear the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the first piece of the armor that we put on. As you put on a belt, at least us men most of the time wear a belt or suspenders, sometimes both. That's overkill. But if we, if we wear both, that, that it's holding things together, right? It's holding things in place. The truth of Jesus holds life in place. And then the next piece of the armor that he talks about is the breastplate. It's the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate would have protected those, those vital organs of the kidneys, the heart, the lungs, and it went all the way around from side to the front and the back. And so we know that the breastplate is that part of us that we realize that we've been declared righteous. It's the breastplate of righteousness by God. He declares us to be worthy of being called sons and daughters of His. That's the breastplate. That reminds us of who we are breastplate. And then the other piece of the armor that we put on last Sunday that we talked about were the sandals of peace. And the way Paul expresses it here is he says, have your feet shod. For me, the picture of shoeing a horse. <laughs> have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now that's a mouthful, but basically what he is saying is put on your sandals that give you stability and mobility and adaptability, and be prepared to share the good news whenever and wherever you have opportunity. And so we sort of fleshed that out last Sunday and talked about what that looks like. Sometimes it is sharing the good news of who Christ is with a person who doesn't know Jesus, with the hope and desire that they would trust Jesus as their Savior. But when you're sharing the gospel with a Christian, sometimes we don't think in those terms, but as Christians, we need to be reminded that the gospel does more than just save us. The gospel sustains us. And so when you're sharing the gospel with a person who's already a Christian, it is the idea that you're encouraging them and you're cheering them on and you're, you're giving them strength. So the gospel sandals, 
We'd wear them to be prepared to share the good news whenever and wherever we have the opportunity. Watch this. With the belt, the breastplate, and the sandals, Paul says, put these on, put these on, put these on. But now look at verse 16 and look at what he says. He says, in addition to all, my translation, it's in addition to all these that he's talked about, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The language is different. With the belt and the breastplate and the sandals, we're to wear those all the time. But now as he moves to talk about the shield and then the helmet and the sword, those will be the last two pieces that we discuss. These are pieces of the armor that we retreat to and use at a moment's notice when needed. Now, we need to think about this. You don't necessarily have to wear the shield all the time, but the shield is there. We draw strength from knowing and comfort from knowing that the shield is there if we need it. So you don't, you don't leave your shield at home. You don't leave your helmet at home. You don't, you don't leave your, shield with, uh, your sword with a friend and say, I'll come back and get it if I need it. They're always there for you at a moment's notice. But you draw on these things as you respond to whatever's coming at you. Think about it in conflict. If a soldier just carries the shield with him all the time, what if there's nobody right in front of him? What if there's nobody out there? What? No, he just, he just relaxes and lets the shield be at ease until he sees the enemy approaching. Now, the shield, by the way, has a very, a very fascinating history to it. The shield started out as a small disc for the Roman soldiers. It was more like the size of a Frisbee. If I say Frisbee, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Little plastic things we throw? All right. It was like the size of a Frisbee that they wore on their forearm. And then it grew in, in circular size to be about the size of what I would say is a, a large can, a large lid for a garbage can. And so, but then it progressed even more to the point that it was actually oval or rectangular in shape and most Shields that a Roman soldier would carry would carry were about four and a half feet in height. To the point that when the shield was placed on the ground, the soldier could actually duck underneath and be totally covered by the shield and protected by it. Not only that, but the shield had hinges on it. That's the only way I know to describe it. So that in the battle, they could actually link one shield to another soldier's shield to another soldier's shield and form a lengthy barrier, a wall, if you will. And in some instances, it's a beautiful picture, as these soldiers would come shoulder to shoulder and link their shields and, you know, just kind of hunker down. Do I need to define hunker? Hunker down, I use these words spontaneously, and I think, what am I doing? No, nobody knows what hunker is. I hunker down, by, the soldiers behind them would come and then take their shield and lay it actually on top of the soldiers back who are hunkered over, and they are forming a total enclosure around them, protecting themselves from the enemy. All of this is going to come in play as we think about what Paul might have been envisioning 
as he talked about the fiery arrows or darts, your translation may say, from the evil one. Now, it was not uncommon in Paul's day in the first century for armies to carry with them arrows that were dipped in pitch or tar. And they would take these arrows and they would light them. They would light them. They would be a flame. They'd have a fire on the end. And as they would shoot them at the enemy, when the arrows would hit something, the tar would splatter. And so you can think about this, this liquid kind of tarry substance that would just shatter. It would be like shrapnel. And so it would, it would get attached to a soldier's clothing or even his skin and it would burn through. Sometimes they talked about the tar and the pitch being such a problem that it would, it would actually be, it would, it, would, it would wound soldiers to the point of death, all because of where the arrow was placed and because it had the tar and the pitch, the fire on it. So it was a very, very effective tool used in military combat, in conflict, and Paul says, you know, the devil does that sometimes. He, he throws these fiery darts at us. Now, to stop for a moment and think about the shield, and then I want to come back to the arrows that the devil throws at us. What is this shield for? Well, we talked about the sandals of peace being for stability, and they are. We talked about how they would, they would take those nails, those short nails, like a roofing nail, and they would... They would tack them through the sole of the sandal so that it would be like a cleat and they, they would have stability against the enemy. But the, the shield also provided stability as the enemy or the adversary advanced toward them. And so you can see them there with the sandals, with the shield, and how the two are working together as it's providing the stability that they need. I wonder if that weatherman who was, you know, hunkered down you'd, with, I'm going to use it again if I, and so he's talking to them about, I wonder if he wanted a shield there to protect him from all the rain and so forth around him. The, the shield grounds us in our relationship with the Lord. And the effectiveness of the grounding is all related to our prayer and Bible study and worship, our disciplines of the Christian faith. You see how this is connected? You see, there are times when I get anxious. There are times when I get short-tempered. There, there are times when I am very impatient. And those are times that the Spirit of the Lord reminds me, you need a little more quiet time. Because in those quiet times, I'm centered. I'm focused. I'm mindful. I'm reminded of who I am and whose I am and the fact that I'm to demonstrate the love and the patience and the service and the humility that's all a part of the nature and the character and personality of Jesus. And the shield can help me find the time and the priority of a quiet time so that I make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. It insulates me from the world, you see that? So that I can make sure that it's just my time alone with the Lord. 
So in this instance, as I am using the shield to quiet myself so that I can focus entirely on the Lord, let me tell you, it's also not just about looking up, it's about linking up. And that's what we're doing this morning. You see, all this week, many of us have spent time with the Lord privately. Now we're spending time with the Lord publicly. And what we're actually doing is we're linking our shields together. We're coming together as a body of believers to say it's our time collectively to spend with the Lord. Now, it didn't just happen in corporate worship like this. It'll happen sometimes during the week. Sometimes even after the service, I'll see some of you gathered up and you'll be talking about a conversation will be going on about something that you're going through or somebody else is going through. And though you won't express it this way, what you're doing is you are actually linking your shields together so that you can be an encouragement to somebody, so that you can lift somebody up in prayer. You're trying to strengthen one another in that effort. You say, I don't understand all of this, Bill. What? It's the shield of faith. Faith. Well, now we've got to talk about what faith is. Well, we don't have to because it's defined for us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 where the writer says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And in verse 6 he says, without faith it's impossible to please God. What is faith? Faith is trust. Faith is your willingness to commit to God. Commit what to God? Everything to God. And whether you realize it or not, you exercise faith every single day. Every single day. You say, well, you put a stamp on an envelope and you put it in the mailbox. What are you doing? You are putting faith in the United States Postal Service. That letter doesn't always get to where it's supposed to be, right? <laughs> but you're putting faith in the United States Postal Service. Some of us will go to doctors that we've never met before. And we'll meet them at their clinic and go into a room where we've never been before and that doctor will come in and ask us some very personal questions, right? And what do we do? We'll answer them. We've never met them before in our life, but what are we? we're putting our trust in them. And we'll believe that they have our best interest at heart. And they're wanting to help us. And so we'll answer those questions. And then we'll, they'll write us a prescription that we can't read. And we'll take it to the pharmacist. And they will give us something that we've never seen before. And our entire trust and faith has been exercised in that what was on that paper is what's in that bottle and that we are supposed to take it as prescribed on the label. Faith, faith, faith. It's trust all the way, all the way. Every single thing that we do. And our faith here is that in the middle of the storm, there is a grounding, there is a protection, there is a presence that is going to provide for us in the middle of that storm. The shield of faith is reminding us that God is with us and that you're not alone. It's not just the presence of God, it's the promises of God that you're trusting. 
You say, what are the promises of God? Well, promises are found throughout all the Bible, but be careful with those because sometimes the promises are contextual. They're for person or people, for particular circumstance. But there are a lot of promises that are for you and me, and we need to claim those. For instance, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I wonder how therapeutic it would be if I asked you to repeat after me this morning. I'm going to ask you to do that. I want you to say this after me. I am not alone. Say it with me. I am not alone. Now, for some of us, no big deal because we don't feel lonely. But for some people who every single day know, knows what it's like to go home, to eat alone, to have no one to talk to and converse to, there is a loneliness that comes with that and they need to be reminded that God is there, that God cares, and that He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. How about this? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is a promise directly from Jesus. And our lives should be lived out in that promise that one day Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's taking us to a place that he has prepared for us. That's the truth that he's given us in that promise. How about this promise? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. That's a promise of God. So we are living through the presence of God, the promise of God, and I would also say the providence of God that the shield reminds us of here. And the providence of God is nothing more than God being able to see us through to the end. God knows out there in advance what's going to happen to our lives and we're trusting him with that even though the present circumstances may not be enjoyable may not be what we want may be unpleasant but yet in that conflict and in that moment we are mindful that God knows what's happening on the other end on the other side of this trust faith faith in him it's the shield of faith now what are these fiery darts that come at us how about fear Fear. Do you know the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.12, perfect love cast out all fear? And the opposite of that is also true. Perfect fear cast out all love. But as Christians, we need not fear anyone or anything. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, life is worth living only when you have faith in something. And people applauded him and said, absolutely, you're, you're right, that's true. No, he's wrong. It's not faith in something, it's faith in someone. That's where our faith is. And because we have faith in someone, we need not fear. Write this down. When you kneel before God, you can stand before any man. When you kneel before God, honoring Him, loving Him, serving Him, you can stand before any human being and mere mortal. 
You need not fear anyone, anytime. The Lord is for us. Who can be against us? But the devil wants us to be afraid. He wants us to shrink in intimidation, believing that there are things in this world that are going to overpower us and overtake us. And they are certainly capable of doing those things. But our faith is in the Lord and our eyes are fixed on Him, right? So he throws these darts of fear. How about arrows of doubt that come our way? Doubt. Now listen... It's one thing to ask God a question. And I think God is certainly fine with us saying, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't understand this. I need some insight in here. But we need to adopt the faith of Job who said, even though all of these things slay me, even though all these things that I'm going through kill me, yet I will trust in him. Doubt can take us to the point in our faith where we say, God, I don't trust you anymore. Doubt can be an enemy of faith. But doubt can also be used to strengthen our faith as we say, Lord, I'm questioning this a little bit, but, however, I'm going to put my total trust in you. I'm asking you to do that this morning. I'm asking you to believe and understand that whatever fiery, Arrow that the devil throws at you, God will extinguish with the shield of faith. If only we'll use it, if only we'll exercise it, if only we'll draw from it. John Pardon was a missionary in the South Seas. And when he got to his place of assignment, he was challenged with taking the native language of the people there and translating the New Testament, writing it in a language that they could understand. And so he started out by putting together about 50 verbs, words that he find throughout the New Testament that he knew he would encounter over and over again. And so he would, he would take the words of the native people and, and he would write that word down by the English word and say, those, those are my starting points. These are the verbs that I'm going to use as I translate through the New Testament but he never could figure out a word for faith. He struggled with it. And he couldn't start translating the New Testament because he knew faith was such a vital part of the Scripture and he wanted to be able to say it in a way that the people would understand it. And according to John Pardon, he said one day, he was sitting in his hut and it was, become, it was coming a monsoon out there in his little thatch hut he said he it, the rain was pouring and he would look up and try to figure out if the roof was going to leak you know and all of a sudden and all of a sudden he looked through the crack in the door of his little hut and he saw one of the natives running toward him and as he opened the door a little bit he realized that the guy was coming right to his little hut his little house there and so he opened the door for him and he came in and he was panting and he was you know heaving and he was out of breath and, and John Pardon said I just slid a chair over there and the man just sat down and he put his you know uh, arms on his legs like that and he just he just began to kind of collect himself and catch his breath a little bit and then he said he looked up, his whole expression changed. And in his native tongue, this is what he said. He said, it feels so good to put my total weight on this chair. And it clicked. And he said, that's it. That's faith. 
It's when we expend every ounce of strength we have and we come to God and say, I can't take another step. I'm putting every bit of my weight in your hands. Lord, I need you to carry me through. Lord, I trust you to carry me through. That's faith. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we have so much to learn. Pray that you would help us in our daily walks with you. And Lord, that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. That we would come to a service like this, study this scripture and hear a preacher talk about it in a variety of ways. But Lord, this afternoon and tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every day following, I pray that you would bring us back to this truth of how we're to just put every part of our life in your hands and ask you to see us through any and every circumstance. And Lord, as we do that, may we find the stability and the support that we so desperately need. It seems to me, Father, that we have no trouble asking you to save us. But there are times that we struggle to turn our lives over to you and let you lead in a given direction. Father, help us do that in ways that say to this community, to the world, that we are totally committed to you. Father, if there's any person here this morning who's yet to trust Christ as Lord and Savior, pray that you'd give them the freedom and the courage to come forward and say that. For any Christians here looking for a church home because your Spirit would lead them, let them come to unite with our church family and use what gifts and abilities they have so that your church may be strengthened. We pray this in Jesus' name for his sake.